Welcome to the Elevate Life Church podcast of the week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit elevatelife.com. Put your hand on your heart, and uh, if you're new, if you're new to our church or if you're new to church, this is just a part in the service, not where we say pledge of allegiance, but we just say some things about us that God says about says about us. So say this with me: I am who God says I am, a child of God the righteousness of God. I am the apple of God's eye. I am God's workmanship created for good works, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Today I open up my mind to receive the word of God so I can think like God, be like God, and do life the way God intended for me to live. Now put your hands up and say it like you mean it. Come Holy Spirit, help me elevate my thinking so I can elevate my life in Jesus' name. Amen. Give yourselves another big hand. And you can be seated, and um, thank you for standing, because you're standing for yourselves, and you're pretty awesome. One of, the, one of the things for us as a church that we really uh, want to always do a great job of prioritizing is building environments where we can create relationship with each other. Like, it's important for us to have ministry and services and worship and all the things that we do that encourage us, but it's, it's also, we feel like, of equal importance that we really do a great job of connecting with each other getting to know each other, build great relationships, building great, great friendships. And that's why we're doing a lot of the things that we always do. But especially this summer, we're really trying to create some avenues where we can just get to know each other and, uh, and hang out. And that's what that baseball game's about. If you want to connect here, if you want to build relationships here, that's one of the pl- places to do that. But then also, coming up on July 4th, some of you might have heard, but we're having basically a big July 4th party here on Wednesday night, and it's going to be, yeah, some of you are excited about America and, uh, <laughs> and fireworks and explosions and hot dogs and all of that. And uh, we're just going to come, we're going to come here on July 4th, and we're going to have a, like a 30-minute long thing where we're going to do some baby dedications and some communion and stuff, and then we're going to go outside to our little field back here, and you can see the fireworks perfectly. Um, and what we're going to do is just have some free food and some fun for kids and families, and we're just going to hang out. And and uh, be together as a family of choice. So you're more than welcome to come, bring your friends, bring people that don't normally go to church, tell them it's not a church service, it's a party, because it's not, you're not lying to them if you say that. So, uh, so hey, we're talking about being kind of a big deal today, and we're gonna get into that. So I want you to go in your Bible to Luke chapter 19. If you have your paper Bible, I think that's wonderful way to be old school, and if you have your, uh, your digital Bible, that's great too. If you need notes, the ushers have them. We also have, uh, now we, we do really, we have digital notes where we, I'm gonna put this down here, where we, uh, we on live.elevate.life, you can actually go and you can edit the notes and you can email them to yourself. So if you'd like to do that, then you're welcome to do that as well. Uh, ushers will get you those notes. So we're gonna be talking about a man named Zacchaeus so in Luke chapter 19, there's a story, and uh, we're just going to read the story together. So Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus, and he was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. 
Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He, was, he has gone to, the get, to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for, the man, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those that are lost. So before we go any further, let's pray. God, today, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. I thank you this morning, God, that it's not about a man. It's not about words on a page, but it's about your spirit. It's about your word. So God, I pray through your word this morning, you would speak to us. You know exactly where we're at. You know exactly what we need. And we believe that a word from you can change our life forever. So we just ask that you would do that, that you would have your way, that you would speak to us right where we're at. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if, uh, if, you're new to, if you're new to church, welcome. We're glad, we're glad that you're here. You've been here for a while. Good to see you again. And in this story, there's this guy named Zacchaeus. Now, there's a couple things I want to I talk about as it relates to this story that I feel like are, are really interesting. But the first thing I want to mention is I want to talk about something called sin. Because some of us that have walked with God for a little bit, we use this term a lot. We might, we might have said this phrase before. I know I've said it before. That if God can help so-and-so, God can help anyone. So if God can help me, if God can help that person, if God can help that person over there. I've heard myself say it a lot of times. And this so-and-so is always used in reference to professional sinners. People who are amazing at screwing up. They're unbelievable at making mistakes. Like They find new ways to ruin things daily. They sin, they sin a lot, and they, they probably even enjoy it. Like, they enjoy making the mistakes that they make. They enjoy the sin that they commit, so to speak. So, in this, in this story, um, what we have to kind of wrap our heads around, and this is the, the point right there in your notes, is that mostly good people like to look down on mostly bad people. So we enjoy, if we consider ourselves, which I think everyone in this room, you'd probably consider yourself a mostly good person. Now, none of us, hopefully, are just sitting here going, I'm mostly bad. But we enjoy the feelings of condescending pity and self-righteous outrage when we hold up super sinners as examples of how bad it can really get. Without realizing that in the context of that, we're calling ourselves mostly good without even realizing it. So when we point out what someone else is doing, and we say, wow, that person, man, like I'm screwed up, but I'm not as screwed up as them. What we're saying is that I'm mostly good, and they're amazing at sin. So I'm, I'm, I pity them. I feel bad for them. Uh, but at the same time, oh man, like I'm glad that's not me. But so it's easy for us in life if we follow God, if we have a relationship with him, to create some kind of rating system for sin. It's, it's unspoken, but I feel like it most definitely exists. So you have, you have uh, we, we, we feel like that, all, everything in our, in, our, in our minds, all sin somehow. And sin, you know, just to define it if you don't know what sin is, sin just really means to miss the mark. So sin is actually an archery term that means you were aiming for something, you're aiming for the bullseye, and you sinned, you didn't hit the bullseye. So it's making mistakes. So all sin, all these mistakes, every mistake that we make exists in our mind on, on a relative goodness and, and badness scale. So we call it a goodness scale when we're talking about ourselves, and we call it a badness scale when we're talking about other people. 
So small to medium sins, uh, we, we can say about people, here's how we would describe someone who has small to medium sins. They make small to medium uh, mistakes. They're a good person. Uh, they're probably pretty close to God. And uh, it, won't be, it won't be hard for God to reach them. Like God can get a hold of them really quick. Like they might have, you know, one time ever, they might have cheated on a test in high school. Or, you know, they might have told a little white lie. That's small to, that's small to medium sin. Then you got medium to large and uh, when we look at medium to large people, we really feel like we got to pray for this person. So they really got to, you know, they're, they're starting to get to the point where they really need to work on themselves. And God is going to have to get their attention probably the hard way. God's going to have to do something crazy in their life in order, to, in order to get their attention. Those are medium to large people. Those are all the people out there. And uh, so then we have extra large sinners. And extra large sinners, we just shake our heads. And uh, if you've been, if you've been a, I would say if probably if you've been a Christian for 10 plus years, you'd probably say something like they're bringing a curse on their life. That would be a quote that someone would use when they're describing extra large sinners. They're bringing a curse on their life. We feel sorry for all of the wrath that God is going to rain down on their head. And then our final statement, usually when someone has extra large sin in their life, is we say, well, you know, I guess hell has room for one more person. <laughs> so we feel like, hey, God, you know, they, they're, they're, you know, I don't even know if God can get to them because they're, they're beyond. So nowhere in the Bible, though, do we find any kind of rating system or ranking system distinguishing between levels, levels of sin. So God doesn't have a rating system. But I'm describing how we can think because consequences are different, but, but sin is the same to God. So to God, all sin is equally evil and all sinners are equally lovable. And that's, and that's what God wants us to understand. The more, the more you read his word and the more you get to know him, the more you will see that the way God thinks about you is the same the way God thinks about you no matter what you do because it's not based on what you do. So all sins have different consequences. Some can put us in jail. Some can barely be noticed. But God calls sin the same thing. He calls it sin. He doesn't use uh, adjectives to describe sin. So why am I going into this and explaining all of this? Because we have this man named Zacchaeus. And what you have to understand about Zacchaeus is that he would have been an extra large sinner. He would have been that person that you look at and you go, man, like that guy is going to hell and he is on the fast track to it. He's highly ranked. He's got in the town that he lives in, he'd be number one on the sin leaderboard. Okay, he's a tax collector, but not just a tax collector. He's the chief tax collector. So in, in Roman history, what Roman, what Roman occupying forces would do when they lived in a city in this era in history, was they would, they would collect taxes for Rome. But what they would do is instead of the Romans collecting taxes, they would grab people that they were occupying and say, you guys need to collect the taxes that we can send back to Rome. So if someone collected uh, taxes in a, in a place like Israel, which was occupied by Rome at the time, they were hated because they were considered a traitor to the people that, to the people that lived there. So not only was Zacchaeus a tax collector, which is the worst job you could have at the time, he was the chief tax collector which means he got a cut on everybody's taxes. So he was very rich. And the reason he was rich was because he didn't just tax the people himself, but he took a cut from everybody's taxes that, that lived in the city that he lived in. So um, Zacchaeus is not a guy that people are a huge fan of. So on top of that, right, so you might think, well, maybe Zacchaeus is kind of like an honest guy. Like he considers himself a good tax collector like he's doing people a favor and he's helping them find loopholes in the Roman tax system. And in verse 8 though, 
Zacchaeus admits himself when he talks to Jesus, he admits himself to cheating people on their taxes. So he's a rich man. He's an important man in the city. He's, he's you know, if there's one, here's a lesson. If, if you're probably like under 30 and you're just now entering the game with dealing with the IRS and dealing with the federal government, do not steal the government's money. Don't cheat the tax man because he will come after you. So when the IRS shows up, they're very important. They're, you know, super important. So in this case, Zach, Zacchaeus, our friend Zach, is the IRS guy, right? He's a rich guy. He's an important guy. And uh, at least in his own mind, he's important. And I'm pretty sure, you know, I, I'm not sure why the Bible decided to describe him as short. Okay? Like, what's the necessity of that? I, I heard um, Chris Schaefer was telling me in between the services that that's because... Um, so you can imagine when all the crowds are standing by, because crowds followed Jesus wherever they went. So when all the crowds were standing, uh, watching Jesus, he was the guy that was like, you know, like grown man trying to, hey, and the average height of an Israelite at that time in history was five foot six. So when you say someone was short, he was pretty short. So I'm not saying anyone in this room or that's watching this message has this, but we're pretty sure that Zacchaeus had a case of what's called LMS. And uh, you can figure out what that is. You can Google search for what LMS is. Some of you might need to ask the person next to you what LMS is, but we're pretty sure that Zacchaeus did. So he's important, but he's too short to see Jesus coming. So what does he do? He does something really weird. He climbs a tree. He goes and he climbs a tree uh, to see Jesus. But really, uh, not because he wants to see Jesus, but because he wants, to, he wants Jesus to see him. And then Jesus makes him feel really special. So Zacchaeus is probably already the richest guy in the city. Everyone knows who he is. Then Jesus, who's the big deal, comes and he says, hey, Zacchaeus, and he goes and eats with him because he, he can think in his mind, you know, think about yourself. Look, look at how, man, Jesus is coming to my house. Everyone loves Jesus, but he's not going to everyone's house. He's coming to my house. So Zacchaeus is all about status. Zacchaeus is, if we, if we bring it into 2018, he's got like 200,000 Instagram followers, okay? He won't tell you, he wouldn't tell you that, you know, 199,000 of them he paid for. He's got selfies with anybody who's famous at the time that lives in the town, all the priests, all the big deal priests, and the Air Hebrews that he has are not Air Hebrews you can get in any other store. So his closet's bigger than your house. He's, he's driving the baddest camel around. He's, he's, got, he's, he's got an infinity pool overlooking the city. He feeds his dogs filet mignon, and his servants drop grapes into his mouth. Okay, this is, this is Zacchaeus. So he's hated, but they respect him. So back in elementary school, no one was going to pick the short kid, but now I'm the baddest dude in town. That's what I think when I think about Zacchaeus. He's a guy, everyone knows who he is, and he wants to be a big deal. And so now, Jesus, who everyone knows, thousands of people follow this guy wherever they go, now Jesus is coming to Zacchaeus' house. And everyone in the city is rolling their eyes. They're like, man, why would he go to that? That dude's the worst dude. He's the most awful guy that there is to go to his house. Some of us, we have people that we work with every day that when they get recognition on a project, you're like, dang it. We don't need them to know, have any more pride than they currently have at this moment. That is not helpful. That's what they're thinking about Zacchaeus. So I doubt Zacchaeus, when Jesus goes to his house, was thinking, man, I hope Jesus saves me. 
I really need Jesus in my life. What's, he gonna, what's Jesus going to save Zacchaeus from? His house, his money, his, you know, his private plane? What's he going to save him from? So he thinks he's a big deal. And then all of a sudden everyone says, this Jesus guy is a big deal. The Jesus guy recognizes him. And you know what Zacchaeus is thinking? Zacchaeus is thinking, man, you know, I told you guys, game recognized game. Real recognized real. So I'm a big deal, and this guy Jesus, y'all all said Jesus was a big deal, and he knows who I am. So, so this, is, this is how it is when you're on our level. That's what Zacchaeus is thinking. But all of a sudden, there's a, there's a move that happens, there's a shift that happens, because at some point in this meeting, everything changes for him. So what changed for Zacchaeus? Was it a Bible study? Like, did Jesus come in and say, hey, like, let's open up my word and let me show you some things that I said? Is it a message? Did Jesus go in and preach to Zacchaeus and start, you know, trying to make him feel convicted? Did Jesus say, hey, you know, I got this newest, I got this new Hillsong album that's unreleased. I want you to listen to it first and let's listen to it and then it'll change your life. Or did he say, hey, let's pray for three or four hours. I feel like all those things are good things. But what changed Zacchaeus, in my mind, we don't know what happened in the conversation, but Jesus just showed up at his house. And what changed Zacchaeus was just a few moments with Jesus. So there's no record of Jesus telling Zacchaeus to do anything or to be anything. But he's so moved by the presence of Jesus in his house that everything changes for him. So Zacchaeus goes to the guy's house. He goes in his house. They walk out of the house, and everything is different. So what I want us to understand for the, for the sake of our conversation this morning is that you and I are in so many ways like Zacchaeus in this story. We might, not, we might not be short physically, but we're short in a lot of other ways. So I can think in my life that if I want to see Jesus, somehow I have to have the ability to present myself a certain way. To see past myself, to see past my sin, to see past my distraction, to see past my pride, to see past the, the place that I find myself in because we live in a culture where everything is about the presentation. It's usually not about the authentic deal. We spend so much time thinking about the way people see us and the perception of things. And let me make sure things look this way. Let me make sure things are, are perceived this way by people. And I, I don't feel like that's a, that's a product of our modern times. You know, some people will say, um, there's a study done recently. Some people say, oh, like, you know, all this social media, this generation is the most narcissistic generation in the history of the world. And every study that I've, that I've ever read on social media shows that social media and narcissism do not uh, correlate to each other. So, so as people, we just have a human thing of constantly trying to present ourselves a certain way. Like constantly trying to show myself, here's, here's how I am. You know, like I make good money and I take care of my stuff and I'm a big deal and people know me and I'm respected. And, and so Zacchaeus is a, a picture of what we look like. We're always trying to present things as if they're a certain way. But climbing a tree did not save Zacchaeus. It wasn't about being seen. So, so Zacchaeus climbs this tree because he wants Jesus to see him. Because he's a big deal. Real recognize real. I need you to recognize me. I need you to, to see me the way that I am. But the, but the truth is most of us have this, no matter how hard we try to work on our perception, no matter how hard we try to work on the way people see us or how people, what people think when they look at us, we have, all of us, have this very true realization in our hearts and in our own selves, if we're honest with ourselves, that no matter how hard we try or what, or, or what we accomplish, 
we're going to fall very short. We feel like no matter how many trees we climb, no matter how many rules we follow, and no matter how much we do, we're still not going to be tall enough. But we keep doing it anyway. It's like all we know to do. There's a lot of times for me, and, and I think for all of us in our own lives, for me in my own life, where I'm like, you know, I feel like I made more mistakes today than, I, than good things. I feel like, I, I, feel like I, I just I hope that what I'm doing is going to work at some point. I hope that me thinking this way and me trying to do things this way, I'm giving it, you know, there are, days when, there are days when I don't give it my best, but on days when I do give it my best and it doesn't work out, it's like, man, what am I even, what am I even doing? I guess I'll just exist and keep doing it some more tomorrow. So Zacchaeus, this tree represents us giving our best effort to be seen, to be noticed, to achieve great results, to, be, to have this perception but being seen a certain way didn't save Zacchaeus, didn't change anything for Zacchaeus. That idea of success that Zacchaeus had, that, it, that idea of success that we so often had, have, once we reach it, I think we'll realize that that doesn't change anything. What changes everything for us is the same thing that changed everything for Zacchaeus, and that's God's acceptance. And that's God's grace in the moment. So for Zacchaeus to know that Jesus knew him, Jesus didn't know that Zacchaeus that he was presenting himself to be, Jesus knew the real Zacchaeus. Jesus knew who he was when he, when, he, when he didn't tell anybody. Jesus knew his struggles. So we think that God sees our trees. A lot of time, I'm trying to climb the tree. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna come to church more. That's a good thing to do. But I'm gonna come to church more and God's gonna see me and I'm gonna have blessing on my life and I'm gonna make more money because I spend all my time at church and all I do is serve and you know, all this different stuff. See how much I listen to worship in my car. I'm only going to listen to worship. I'm not even going to engage with anything in the, in the secular world. I'm not even going to you know, watch movies anymore. I'm just going to watch Christian movies and be bored out, bored out of my brain. You know, <laughs> not be entertained. But it's going to have a message. And I'm going to watch that because that's what I feel like God wants. And that's, that's what's going to bring God's hand on my life. And that's what's going to make God love me. And that's what's going to make God be for me. So we can like live our life climbing these trees, being very short, feeling very short in our own way. I'm not saying we're physically short, but in our own way, feeling very short, feeling like we're just so far away from it and going, okay, God, I'm just going to try harder. I'm just going to do more. I'm just going to you know, demonstrate to you how much I want this, how much I'm for this. And then we end up what ends up happening when we do that is we end up working on the perception more than we end up working on the reality. So, so many of us think that we live our lives trying to impress other people. Like we're trying to impress that person. We're trying to impress our, you know, we're trying, we're, you know, we go to high school reunions and we're trying to impress all the people that we were in high school with that don't even care about us anymore. And, and we live our lives trying to impress people that really their opinion doesn't matter, and we feel like that same thing has to happen between our, in our relationship with God. That somehow, if I do enough, God will be impressed enough by me to give me great things, to allow good things to happen for me, to see me as a big deal. So we, we can feel like, I've got it all together, I don't need any help. That's how a lot of people come across. Have you ever seen this, have you ever been with these couples I don't know, maybe some of you know them and maybe some of you are them. And if you're not, if you are them, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But I've seen people like they hang out and they're dating or they're married and their Instagram is like perfect and their life is amazing and everything's wonderful. And then you hang out with them and it's like all they do is fight with each other. And uh, you're like, you should post this on. <laughs> I give people some hope. 
give people some hope that this is not the way that it actually works. So, so many people are living their lives and they're like, I'm good, man. Like, I don't need another, I don't need to read books. I got it. I've got it figured out. Like, I'm going to write the book. I'm supposed to write the book. I'm not supposed to read the book. So we live our lives and we're working on, we're working on the perception of things more than we're working on the reality of things. So I think what God's trying to show us here is that we should spend time, spend less time worrying about how things look and more time worrying about how they actually are. So if we took all the energy that we put in making things look a certain way and we just said, hey, I'm actually going to be that way, I'm sure things would also look that way too. So I love what Stephen Furtick said in his book, Unqualified. He said, God can't bless who you pretend to be. So, so many of us, we're living our lives and we're trying to present ourselves a certain way. We're trying to pretend to be this way. But being seen a certain way didn't save Zacchaeus. That didn't, that didn't help him at all. Zacchaeus pretending to be something um, didn't fix anything. So Zacchaeus, to me, was a guy that was excited to be seen by Jesus because it validated who he pretended to be. So what Jesus did in that moment was he said to him, he basically made him feel like in front of all the people, hey, you're a really big deal. But there's something interesting that happens in this story that I think is very telling to us. And Jesus didn't stop because Zacchaeus was in a tree. He stopped because he knew Zacchaeus by name. Jesus didn't stop because Zacchaeus was a big deal. He didn't stop because Zacchaeus was trying really hard. He stopped because he just knew him. And Jesus knows each one of us in the same way. God knows you exactly where you're at, beyond the perception, beyond the message you're trying to send to people, beyond all the things you're trying to work on and how impressive you are, how great you are, how awesome you are. Um, God knows the you that you are at the very core of who you are. So we can't, number one. But number two, we don't have to impress God. We don't have to impress Jesus. And I know that can sound really trite, and that can sound like, you know, oh, of course, of course. But how much, how much of our time do we spend trying to, impress, trying to impress him? I love this quote that my dad said, and my dad has said this as long as I feel like I've been alive. He says, it doesn't matter who other people think you are. It doesn't matter who you think you are. It doesn't matter who you think other people think you are. It matters who God says you are. So God knows, God says that you're, you are who you are. God wants you to understand, God wants each one of us to understand that he's got a great destiny for us. He knows our name. He created us. And we don't have to earn that. We don't have to impress him into giving us that. We don't have to get God to, you know, follow us on social media by posting really quality content. We just have to be the kind of person that, that accepts, that is accepted by him and understands that we are accepted by him. So this story, to me, shows what Jesus is really all about. Feeding, feed, um, <clears throat> leading people who have been given up on back to a God that won't ever give up on them. Wow. You know, the reason why we... <clears throat> the reason why we work so hard on perception is because we don't want people to walk away from us at the end of the day. No matter how introverted you feel like you are, how disconnected from society you think that you are, people matter. And people's opinions matter to us. And so we work so hard on the perception of stuff because we feel like, I don't want to be walked away from. But there are a lot of us in this room, and there have been a lot of us at different circumstances, and maybe that's the life we're living right now. We feel like we're, we've been completely given up on, like we've been written off. 
And, and the, the truth that we have to know, like deep in our knower, as Dr. Seuss would say, the thing that we have to know at the deep, at the very core of us, is that God will never write me off. God will never give up on me. God's, God's never going to be a person that says, hey, that's too much. I can't deal with that. I don't, I don't want to walk through this journey with you anymore. But he wants to be with us. He wants to be in relationship with us. And not just have a relationship with us that's based on, hey, like me and God are cool and I listen to worship music all the time and I read my Bible every day and all of that, but like a real deep, meaningful relationship where I know that I'm deeply loved by him. So all of Zacchaeus' friends stand around and quote unquote friends stand around and they say, man, if God can save Zacchaeus, God can save anybody. And Zacchaeus becomes that story. And all of us in this room, whether we would freely admit this publicly or not, we know in our hearts how lost we are. We know how long we've been in the sin game. I know, that, I know deep in who I am that the professional sinners aren't out there. The professional sinner is standing on the stage. The professional sinner is sitting in your seat. You know your problems. You know your weaknesses. You know your temptations. You know what you're going through. And we might just be sitting here today and we might be just so cynical about it that we just accept every fault that we have. And we say, hey, I'm just going to lean into that. I'm just going to lean into the dysfunction. I'm just going to lean into the mess because I've tried as hard as I can and I feel like nothing changes. So I still have the same issue. I still have the same temptation. And I keep hearing that I'll never change. And maybe that's true. Romans 2, chapter 4, Paul says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? What, I need, what we need to all understand is that God is not a prosecuting attorney. Jesus is not a judge. He's a friend. He's the friend that's right there with you in the worst moments of your life. And he's not pointing the finger at you but he's picking you back up. And he's saying, hey, let's get up. Let's go. You can be better. In this story with Zacchaeus, if you'll, let, if you'll let God for real, it doesn't matter how long you feel like you walked with God or what kind of relationship you think that you have with him. In one moment with Jesus, everything changed for Zacchaeus. He walked out of that room and his perception was different. It didn't matter what everyone else's perception was. But all of a sudden, the way Zacchaeus thought, stuff changed, thought about stuff changed. It wasn't about the followers anymore. It wasn't about being a big deal. It wasn't about being the richest man in town and being the short guy that everyone looked, looked down on. It was all of a sudden about understanding that Zacchaeus was loved. And so he had an opportunity to love other people. And that's why the church exists. The church doesn't exist Despite what culture describes us as, the church doesn't exist for insiders. This ministry, this church is not a group of people that have it all together. It's not people that are qualified. They got all the answers. The church is full of outsiders and people that were once lost, but God found us and he's working on us. That doesn't mean we got it all fixed, but he's working on us. To me, there's nothing more devastating to the Christian faith than forgiven people who think that they can act like saints on autopilot. Who go through their life and they say, hey man, like me and God are cool, we're straight, and uh, that's all good. I don't have to worry about it. Like I'm, I'm just living my life now. 
Because what we have to realize is that it's not about us. I'm going to miss the mark anyway. I'm going to sin. I'm going I'm to make a mistake. If there was like a bigger size than extra large and sin, I'd find it. I'd figure it out. I'd grow into it. But I have to understand that I can't, I can't be a person who's on autopilot in my faith. I can't be a person who's on autopilot in my walk with God and who he wants and who he wants me to be. So the church is supposed to embody the story. If, we, if you're sitting in this room and you've walked with God for any period of time, our church, your church, who you are as the church is supposed to restore the lost and rejected by seeking them out, not isolating ourselves from them. And so often people in churches just like this all throughout America, they're just like glad to be found. Hey man, I'm good. Me and God are great. I don't care about them out there. I don't really know what's going on in their life because you know, I'm scared of that. I'm scared of the world. I'm scared of the sin. I'm scared of getting all, all up in the mess. But Jesus showed up all up in the mess. So there's people that are messy and we might be a little bit less messy with them, but we're still messy, so we might as well be messy together. We might as well be the kind of, be the kind of people that say, you know what, I'm not gonna wait for you to come to me, I'm gonna come to you. I'm gonna find you where you're at. I'm gonna be with you. And if you've, if you've had a relationship with God for a period of time, that's scary. Because you're walking into a place where there's temptation, you're walking into a place where there's anxiety, you're walking into a place where, where you're gonna be judged. Because there's a lot of people that walk into this, this building every weekend, maybe for the first time, and they're like, man, are these people gonna judge me? Are these people gonna judge me for who I am? But when we go to where they are, we say, hey, we love you how you are, which is what Jesus did with Zacchaeus. That's what begins to change things forever. So if you're here and this is your first time here, you've been coming to this church for a while, or you're just figuring out this whole, this whole God thing, I hope that you can understand that there's this church, there's a lot of churches like this church, but this church is a place where you can just be you and be loved for who you are. And we're just here to walk through life with you and help try to figure it out just the way that, that God's trying to help us figure it out. None of us are here because we're any better than anybody else. We're just here because we feel like we're all family and we're all dysfunctional and we're a mess, but you know what, at least we're together. <laughs> so God wants us to get to know him. He wants us to know him. Not just, you know, have another ceremony and another tradition and another thing that we do. That's not what all of this stuff is about. Worshiping God and doing this service and, and reading your Bible and all of that stuff is not about the, the activity of doing it. It's about getting to know God because he already knows us, but he wants us to know. He wants you to know how, how deeply that he loves you and how much he's for you and how much he's on your side and how much he wants you to win in your life. And, and the only way we can, we can do that is by letting Jesus come to our house. Saying, you know what, God, I want you to come to my house. I want you to be my friend. Jesus, when, when, no one else, when no one else is with me, I know you're with me. When I'm trying to figure it out, when I'm making messes, when I'm blowing stuff up, when I'm just completely dysfunctional, right in the midst of that where maybe nobody in my life feels like they can be with me, I know that you're with me. So when we make a realization, when we have this realization in our life of how great of a friend Jesus, Jesus is, Romans 2 begins to happen. This verse where it says the goodness of God leads us to a place of repentance. And repentance can sound like a really biblical Christian term, but all repentance means is it means to just turn and go another way. So in the midst of our mistakes, 
That's what Zacchaeus did. In the midst of him trying to be a big deal, in the midst of him working on all this stuff he was doing, he just said, you know what? I met with Jesus, I talked to him, and I'm gonna turn and go a different way. I'm gonna be different than I've ever been before. So the goodness of God is supposed to change us from the inside out. And everyone had to see the, the new Zacchaeus because they didn't believe it at first, but Jesus said, I came to seek and save that which was lost. There's a lot of people, there's probably people that are sitting in this room today, there's probably people that are sitting in McKinney that feel just totally and completely lost. Like, I don't know what's next. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get myself out of this situation. Jesus said himself, I came to seek and save you. Let's get to know each other first. He says, salvation has visited your house today. I'm coming to your house and we're going to talk. So to paraphrase Brendan Manning, a friendship with Jesus is a friendship that's for the beat up and the burnout. It's for the burdened who are still shifting the heavy suitcase of life from one hand to the other. It's for the wobbly and weak need who know that they don't have it together. It's for the inconsistent, unsteady disciples whose cheese is falling off their cracker. It's for poor, weak, sinful men and women with hereditary faults and limited talents. It's for the bent and the bruised who feel that their lives are a grave disappointment to God. It's for smart people who know they're stupid and honest disciples who admit that they're scalawags. It's for everyone who is weak, weary, and has grown discouraged along the way. Can you just bow your heads and close your eyes with me? You know, you might be sitting here, or you might be sitting in McKinney right now, and you're just, you're just completely discouraged. It's like, I'm lost, I don't, you know, I, like Jesus really isn't my friend right now, I don't know, I don't have a friend in the world. This, this, this time right here is for you, because this whole service, whether you realize it or not, Jesus is doing, Jesus has been doing what the Bible says, and that's, he's knocking at the door of your heart. So Pastor Jeremy, our next-gen pastor, says that if it takes 100 steps to God, he's taken 99, and he just wants you to take one. Jesus says, I want to come to your house. I want to visit you. I want to be in your life. I want to be your friend, but you got to make the decision to let me in. So if you're here this morning, or you're in McKinney, and you just know that you know that you don't have a right relationship with Jesus, that he's just... He's just not the Lord of your life. You're not, his, you're not his friend. He wants to be your friend, but you're not his friend right now. He wants, he, wants to, he wants to be that friend for you. So if you're here with any head bowed, every head bowed and every eye closed, or if you're in McKinney, what I want you to do is just between you and God, and I'm going to count you in a prayer. I just want you to raise your hand and say, you know what? I know that I'm not in the right place with Jesus, and I want to be. I want to be in the right place with him. I want him to be my friend. I want us to do life together. I want him to come to my house and change things for me forever. You can put your hands up. Is there anybody else? You can put your hands down. I want everyone that can hear my voice, pray this prayer and repeat after me. Say, dear Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Thank you for being my friend. I want to be your friend. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for choosing me. Thank you for accepting me. Be Lord of every area of my life. From this day forward, in your name we pray. Amen. Can y'all give those people that made that decision a big hand? Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Be sure and visit elevatelife.com for other exciting new content from Elevate Life Church.